about 10 minutes past the top of the hour here on the 3rd of July, and you've already heard the voice of our next guest, Bill English, who joins us regularly on Wednesday mornings from BibleandBusiness.com, doing work consulting with businesses, sometimes helping businesses turn themselves around. And you also, Bill, do quite a bit of work in which you integrate biblical principles and ideas and part of what we see there into our business lives. It's so fun to chat with you. So officially, good morning again. Yeah, thanks. Good morning to you. It's good to see you. I miss I miss being on the air with you. Yeah, it is really fun to see you as well. It's just, I, I learned so much uh, just even as I run my own business from right. some of the principles that you bring, and, and you've been a great help. And I appreciate that you're able to dive in in a way that's not kitschy and cliche into the biblical text and make some of these principles apply to our lives, not just as business leaders, but as people as well. And one of those things, you've been doing some work on the life of David. What, what prompted this work for you to look at him as a character and begin to integrate it into our businesses and lives? Well, I, it all started when I visited London and went to Westminster Chapel. You know Westminster Chapel is about 100 yards or so from the Buckingham Palace, a very evangelical church. R.T. Kendall used to be hmm. the pastor there. And so I picked up some of his books and I was reading them and he had a book on the life of David. And it inspired me to look at more closely to do my own study of what, how did God prepare David for kingship from the time he was anointed till the time he became king? It's, I don't know, give or take 15, maybe 18 years. Right. And uh, <clears throat> what were the lessons that, that, that David had to learn during that time? And then I taught it in a Sunday school class at, at church. And and then I wrote articles at Bible and Business. Yeah, and I'm looking at that article now. I love a lesson three here of leadership. David learned submission. And you write in this article, Bill, that submission is a dirty word in American culture today. We are, quote, rugged individuals who pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and have no need of anyone else to help us or to tell us what to do. And, Bill, we even sort of subtly and, and overtly teach our children these kinds of principles about rugged individualism by saying you can be whatever you want to be. We want you to go spread Spread your wings. You need to go find yourself and discover yourself. And there's a lot of parenting and shaping that we do of our young kids, inviting them to be these sort of disconnected, self-sufficient, rugged individuals. But what you're suggesting is that the heartbeat of the kingdom and what David had to learn was submission to a bigger story than himself. David had to learn it. Christ had to learn Absolutely. it when he came to earth. He, he submitted himself. Uh, submission is replete throughout the, the Christian uh, theology and Christian experience. It is an anathema here in America now. You don't submit, you assert. I don't submit to authority, I assert my rights. And so uh, really the whole idea of submission, even in marriage, mutual submission, if you believe that way, if you believe in headship, then the wife submits to the husband. All of those concepts are very um, anti-cultural and and countercultural to where we live today. And this is about lessons in leadership. What do you see in leaders, Bill, that you sort of can tell that in their lives they have submitted to something bigger than themselves? They are not there as leaders just to assert all of what they believe and make sure that from their position of power, their opinions are the ones that win the day. Win the day. Do you see different kinds of even healthy characteristics in leaders that you know whether they've said it or not, they really have submitted and surrendered their lives in a different kind of way? Yeah, really. That's, that's very true. I, I'm a firm believer that you're not a good leader until you know how to be a good follower. Mm. And so until you know how to submit to authority, proper authority, uh, you're not going to be a good leader. And this really comes back to a core principle about stewardship of business ownership. Most business owners in America, including Christians, view themselves as the owners of the business. I'm the one in charge. It's my business. I get to make the decisions, right? 
really <clears throat> how Christians should look at this is that um, I this business has been entrusted to me by God. I am a steward in submission to God, and I do what God tells me to do in this business. I'm a conduit. Mm. Really, God, in, in Larry Julian's thinking, God is the CEO and not me. I'm just stewarding this thing. So, um, so a Christian business owner who really takes submission seriously is in a better position to take stewardship seriously. And boy, you sure see this in the life of David. And it's a fascinating, contrasting story of these first two kings of Israel. When you have Saul on one hand, who is described as having all the proper pedigree, he's a head taller than everyone else. He has apparently all of the human characteristics you would be looking for or tend to look for in a leader, the proper resume, all of what would be there. And we see as the fruit of that plays itself out in his life, increasingly, he's less and less able to lead. And you contrast that with this sort of anonymous shepherd boy who is simply out in the field taking care of what God has entrusted him with, and he's learning this surrender and submission in that place. And when God raises him up, he is a person after God's own heart. That's a very different kind of leadership than somebody who appears on the outside to have all of the right characteristics to be a leader, fails miserably, but a person who has surrendered really begins and and participates in God's kingdom. Well, and as Samuel is going through the older brothers, what is God saying to Samuel? God, you know, I'm looking at the heart. I'm not looking right. at the outside. Even Samuel, for all of his wisdom and all of his years, he looked at the eldest son in Jesse's family, and he looked at the eldest son and said, oh, surely this is God's anointed. You know, he got it wrong. Right. 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 And so they had to go through all six brothers, and then, of course, David was the seventh. Look, we're, we're actually, just just so those listening know, uh, we're, we're vaguely referencing the passage in 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 through 23, where David has to go in and play the harp for Saul uh, because God has sent, and we'll, and we'll talk about this after the break, where God has sent evil spirits to torment Saul. We'll talk about that theology in just a moment. Right. But David there, now think about this. Think about this. David is, is young, maybe 15, 18 years of age. He's been anointed by Samuel to be the next king, and he's going in and serving a king that not a lot of people like and a king that isn't following God and a king that isn't um, <clears throat> respectful of of uh, of what God stands for and and how he should be obeying God and yet David is respectful of him now think about what's going on inside of David there wait i'm supposed to be king mm. and now i'm sitting here playing the harp for this illegitimate king right and i don't really like this guy and he's in later on he tries to kill him right i think there's a big lesson there for us just in in terms of submission there's a lot of christians who really really don't like Barack Obama or really don't like Donald Trump right. or really didn't like Bill Clinton or didn't like George Bush. And the way that we talk about those people is very unchristian and it's very unsubmissive. Uh, we need to learn as as a Christian uh, community to respect the people who are in power, even if we don't like them and don't agree with them, because that's who God has chosen. That's part of our submission to God. Yeah, certainly one of the expressions that believers can do if they disagree with those in political power is simply to still pray for them. That That yes. is a place of submission, and, and it doesn't mean that submission doesn't always mean that I agree. It does mean that I'm going to act in a certain way that's consistent with the kingdom. And you reference David as the anointed one, and yet he's still submitted in a corrupt situation. And I think about Jesus then, Bill, who was described as the anointed one, the Messiah. And yet Philippians 2 said, here was his pathway, that though he was not, he was in very nature God, he didn't consider that equality something to be hung on to. Rather, he let it go. He gave it up. He surrendered and he, and he submitted. And then God brought him to that place in the proper time. And he submitted to a kangaroo court. <laughs> he did. He did. And Absolutely. he didn't have to. And well, he, 
Go yeah, ahead. just going to say, lots of, we'll take a short break here, but let's keep in this conversation. Yeah. I and mean, you referenced this idea of God sending an evil spirit. And I know when I have uh, some of my students read some of these passages in the text, they think, what in the world is happening here? So I need to ask you about God and evil spirits and how this whole thing works next on Mornings with Carmen. This is my passion, my soul pursuit. Now I'm Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host for the week, Peter Kapsner. And as always, delighted to be joined in studio by good friend Bill English. And we're talking a little bit about what we can learn from the life of David in terms of some of the lessons of his life. And in this case, the art of surrender and submission. And Bill, you've probably seen more than your share of failures in leadership Mm -hmm. and more than your share of failures in business. And yes, we do want to learn from our failures and become better as leaders and as business people. But there's also this sort of subtle invitation in the midst of failure to recognize recognize that we are limited at the end of the day. And and in that limitation, we can, instead of just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, which we need to do, we also need to enter into this place of surrender and submission as well. Yeah, I think surrender and submission is antithetical to this power authority model of of leading a business. And so uh, business owners who don't learn from their mistakes, who don't learn from their failures in terms of their leadership, are bound to repeat it, right? And so, uh, even as a even as a CEO, right now I'm a CEO of a of a 900 employee company, 24 million dollars in revenue, and my leadership only goes so far, right? And right. the reason why is because. Um, is, is, is because just leadership inherently can only do so much until you have to work with others and through others to get larger projects and larger goals accomplished. And so uh, when you fail at something, you step back, you learn from it, and you go to God and you say, God, what, what should I learn here? God tells you, you implement it and then you're a better leader moving mm. forward. I inevitably find people are pretty peaceful kinds of people that have, that have wrestled that down a bit, and they've chosen to surrender and submit in their life. <clears throat> there really is a peace and contentment that can come with it that, again, is counterintuitive. Well, let's change the conversation in our last couple of minutes here because you referenced this passage in First Samuel 16 about God sending an evil spirit. And certainly there's a lot of paranormal phenomenon in the biblical text that I don't find gets addressed very often. We see Dave, or Daniel praying at one point, and it takes a while for Gabriel to show up because he's waylaid by the prince of Persia and has to call on Michael to help get him out of that cir- uh, circumstance. We see in Matthew 28 that the tombs of many are broken open and ghosts are floating around Jerusalem. So what's happening in the story <clears throat> between God and evil spirits? Well, God is, verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Why would we think that the spirit had departed from Saul? Because Saul was a rebellious king. Right. You know, the the spirit cannot reside with rebellion. Okay, let's just let's just and rebellion, by the way, earlier in this book is is as the sin of divination, mm. right? Yeah. And so anyways, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's attendants said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. And then he, they go on to bring in David when David plays the lyre or the harp. The, uh, somehow that music has a deleterious effect on the evil spirits. They leave. Saul feels better. Okay. But what's the phrase? An evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, I've heard, 
I, I, you know, you you teach theology. I'm I'm not. I don't have a PhD like you do, right? <laughs> sure. you oh, know? and it's really helped me understand this circumstance, Bill. By the way, did you wear a pink tutu when you graduated with your PhD? You know, I Was didn't, but something? I did. I did wear a kilt. I graduated okay. in Scotland in Edinburgh. <laughs> it took me about two hours to figure out how to put on that kilt, especially when it came to lacing up the shoes. But, was, for, was but it pretty a pink close. Kilt? It was not. It, it was done with our family colors. Actually, I married into oh. a bit of Scottishness, and my All wife right. Allie, and so I had the the family sort of a weapon, the knife uh, tucked into my sock. I All was right. killing it that day, Bill. So most people or most evangelicals when I was growing up were saying this passage, God allowed the evil spirits to come on Saul. Right. But that's not what the passage says. The passage says that the evil spirits were sent from the Lord to him. How do you explain that? It is a great question because you also see Satan heading into the heavenly court in the book of Job. And so there's, I think there's this theological sense that there's this great division between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and they don't have anything to do with one another other than some battle here and there. But there's a lot going on in the biblical text. And in a place like America, we don't often talk about the spiritual forces that are sort of assumed in other parts of the world. So I don't have a robust theology about how God could interact and even still order an evil spirit to do some work on his behalf. Yeah, for me, I rely on God's sovereignty here. If God, because I, I, I believe, in this, and this really gets into a thorny area, but I believe that God is 100% sovereign over all evil as well as over all good. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, Matthew right. 5, right? And so um, there, is a, there is a very real sense in which God is sovereign over all evil as well as all good. I would rather have that thorny theological problem than to say that God isn't big enough to be sovereign over evil, and evil is outside of his control, right? Absolutely. I I don't want to go there, and I don't think the Bible teaches that. In fact, there's probably a couple dozen areas in the scriptures that if you and I took the rest of the hour, we we could elucidate these. And what we would find is that time after time after time, God is seen as using evil for his purposes, and yet the scriptures never charge him with doing evil, and they never attribute to him any kind of sin or wrongdoing. That is God's sovereignty over evil, and it just seems to me that it's better to affirm what the Bible affirms than to try to explain away what the Bible clearly says in order to fit some kind of a theological box that makes us feel better and more comfortable. Yeah, we'll have to leave it there, Bill. I certainly appreciate you bringing it up, though. In terms of being a student of the scriptures, I think I went from assuming that I understood 100% of the text maybe 20 years ago to I think at recent check, I'm at about 2%. There's a lot of biblical passages there, and that 100% tended to represent the 20 verses that I grew up memorizing and assume I had it locked down. So it is a fun exploration, and I'm glad you're willing to open the box on this. And I hope you have a great 4th of July celebration hey, you tomorrow. you too. Yeah. Wonderful to see you again. We'll have be joined. a hot dog. Eat a hot I will, dog. I will not have 66 hot dogs no, in 12 have a minutes. Hot dog. That is for sure. Well, we'll take a break here for Breakpoint and some bottom of the hour news. And Steph Williams O'Brien, friend of the program here, is already in the green room as well. She's pastor of Mill City Church. And Steph and I are going to talk about the process of planting a church and what that was like for her and her co-pastor. Yeah.